As a church, we're, we're continuing our series on uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, and my title, as you can see up there, is The Spirit and the Word. Um, I, I do feel that the elders have got something against me in this uh, because they've only given me one verse to preach on this morning. Um, I've just been given 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. So I don't know if it's because I'm poor in my preaching or whether it's because I, I go on a bit, uh, but I've only been given one verse today. Uh, so I've been instructed by Steve to only be two hours this morning, is that? No more than two hours, okay. Uh, so let's turn and read our scripture this morning. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Uh, I just want to pray for us a moment. Um, I sensed as I was preparing this that, um, that the spirit would come and that he'd meet with us. Uh, that, that he wanted to actually baptize some people in his spirit, that he wanted to touch you. Um, and it, it's incredible when someone comes and confirms that. Just as I was about to come up here, John came up to me and he said, don't be surprised if, if people are baptized with the spirit as you preach this morning. Uh, so be expectant for God to speak to you. Be expectant for God to, to meet with you um, as I preach a moment. So I just want to pray for us. Holy Spirit, we love you and we need you. We want to pray, would you come and would you continue to breathe on us this morning? Lord, we thank you for the way in which you have met with us so far. Lord, we thank you for the way in which you've been speaking to us. And we pray, continue to pour out yourself on us now. We pray, continue to speak to us. Continue that we may know you so closely this morning. Lord, would you come? Yes, Lord. Amen. So the subject of the Spirit and the Word uh, can be quite contentious. Uh, we've seen a steady separation of these uh, two subjects over church history. Uh, I remember that when I was in Coventry uh, and I'd meet with my friends in the, the uh, Christian Union up there and you'd be talking about the churches that we were part of, uh, there was a group of people who were part of what they called word churches. Uh, so they'd go along to a church that had uh, very strong doctrine um, and very meaty doctrine, uh, and they went there for the teaching. Uh, but what they said is that the worship was, was dead and was stale. And then you had a bunch of people who were going to churches uh, that they described as spirit churches, where they felt the presence of God, but the teaching was, was poor and was weak. And these two things become separated. Either you go to, to a word church or a spirit church. Um, R.T. Kendall talks about this, and he says that there's been a silent divorce between the Word and the Spirit, but we must surely long to see a remarriage of the two. Yeah. And he kind of uh, defines where, where the focus of these two groups of churches are. He says that Word churches focus on getting back to the Scriptures and knowing what we believe, whereas the Spirit churches focus on having a personal experience with the Holy Spirit and the living witness of the Holy Spirit. Word churches are, are often referred to as being places of cold theology. And equally we hear of others referring to spirit churches as being childlike, just seeking a, a little bit of an experience of God's presence. Terry Virgo talks about this separation in his book, The Spirit-Filled Church. He says, How I long for a recovery of true biblical Christianity, where the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, also raised the dead. It seems that profound theology and great signs and wonders 
happily cohabited in Paul's life and ministry. We shouldn't see a word church or a spirit church. These two should be together. This morning I want us to look um, at how the words and the spirit relate to each other and how important it is that we build a church where the word and the spirit are completely inseparable. So let's go and have a look at our, our short passage. <laughs> All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. I find this first bit incredible. All scripture is breathed out by God. This means that every part of that book that you've got in your hands is breathed out by God himself. Those are God's words. They have his very breath on them. They're not dead words, they're God's words. It's not just a book that you hold in your hands, it's a God-breathed book. Mm. What's it mean for scripture to be breathed out by God? Some people might just look at the Bible and see it as being a historical or a religious book that was being written by a few people many, many years ago. But no, this is a God-breathed book. This book is God's words. It's his words spoken to you and to me. It's his words spoken to his church, to his people. He spoke it to his people to record it for us to read. God himself wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone that Moses put in the Ark of Covenant. But he also spoke to the likes of Moses, to Joshua, to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, and many more. And he commanded them to write down the words that he spoke to them. An example of this is Jeremiah 30, verse 2. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. He spoke to his people so that it would be a witness for people to come back to. We're a forgetful people. And if it had been spoken and not written down, we'd forget it. I forget my shopping list, I forget this. The whole nation of uh, Israel accepted the Old Testament as God's word from an early stage. Uh, We see in Nehemiah 8 that the whole nation rises to accept the law as God's word. We find in the New Testament that also Jesus affirms the Old Testament through his life on earth. He often speaks forth scripture. He declares that he's the fulfillment of that scripture or he's the one who's being prophesied about. Examples of this are uh, Matthew 5 where Jesus says he's not come to abolish the law and the prophets but to fulfill them. Also in Luke 4 he talks about Isaiah 61 about the uh, spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. When he finishes preaching it um, he, he sits down and declares the scriptures being fulfilled. The apostles also affirm the Old Testament as they use it as the root of their ministries. An example of this is Paul in Romans 1. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So we see this is something that has been affirmed. And then we see with the New Testament that the gospels are eyewitness accounts of of life and teaching of Jesus that were written down to be passed for all generations to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We also then see that the apostle wrote letters to churches in order to instruct them to build them up. And these then became scripture as well. And we see that Paul refers to them in this way. 
In Corinthians, he says, if anyone thinks that he's a prophet or, spir- or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. So the words that he was speaking are a command from him to his people. Is that buzzing my phone? Have my phone if you want. If you phone, Australia's on speed dial as well. What's that? Okay. Uh, we also see in Acts 1 verse 16, the words of Psalm 69 and 109 are words which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. It's a mystery that God would use people to write down his words. In your hands, you're holding a precious book. You're holding a book which has the very words of God written in it. If you're wondering what the connection is between the word and the spirit, here we have it. The Bible is written by the Holy Spirit speaking to men. We cannot separate the word and the spirit because they are one. The spirit speaks the words that we read. It then makes sense that if we want to understand these words, that we go to the author. Not only do we have in our hands the word of God, but we have access to the author. Many of us have probably read some sort of difficult book. I remember the, the books that I was reading in university and you just got fed up of them because you couldn't understand them. Uh, many of those books ended up out of my window. Um, but with, with the Bible, we shouldn't have the same trouble. When we're struggling to understand it, we just need to ask the author to reveal it to us. There's almost another sense to the word God breathed. Uh, we see similarities to this phrase in Genesis 2 verse 7, when God formed the man of dust uh, from the ground and breathed, no- sorry, breathed life into his nostrils. The man then became a living creature. Without the breath of God, man would have remained a pile of dirt. The breath of God brought life to him. And without the breath of God that Bible would just be a book. It's God who breathes life into that book. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, whilst I was preparing this sermon, um, we, we've got uh, some tulips that are on our table, and I happened to knock them over whilst I was preparing the sermon. I had far too many books around me and just knocked it over. Um, so I knocked it over. The water that Fleur just put in there went all over two of my books. Um, and those two books were absolutely sh- uh, satura- uh, can't speak, saturated uh, with water. Uh, they then sat on the radiator for the rest of the day. Um, but this is what it's like with the Spirit. The, the book that you are holding is saturated with the Spirit. Yes. It's not just dead pages, but as you turn over a page, it's saturated with the Spirit. Yes. Without the Spirit, we could not make sense of the Word. We're told who can fathom, who can understand the mind of God. Yet we can understand his word. We can understand the scriptures because the author comes and he reveals what he's written. As we approach scripture, we should come with an eager expectation for him to speak to us. We should come with an expectation of him wanting to meet with us, for us to encounter him. Terry Virgo recently tweeted this. He said, you don't read your Bible to impress God. 
You read it to meet God. And that's not just a couple of clever words. This is reality. But so often we, we go into it trying to impress God. We, we do it out of obligation. We read the Bible just to get it done. Yeah. But no, we, we come in order to meet God. I don't know uh, what your morning schedule's like, but sometimes it can just fit into your checklist for the morning. Uh, you go through and you go, shower, check. Run around frantically trying to find work clothes, check. Coffee, check. Cornflakes, check. Another coffee, check. Watch the news, check. Spill coffee over shirt. Put on new shirt, check. <laughs> Oh no, I've still got time to read the Bible. I'd better go upstairs and read it, otherwise I'll feel guilty later on. And actually it's church today, so when I meet Denzel and he talks about his passion for the word of God, I'm just going to feel condemned, so I'd better get this done. Check. Reading the Bible should not be something we dread. It should be something that enthuses us. It should be something that propels us up out of bed. It should be something that we face with glee. It should be something that makes us want to run to it because we have an opportunity to encounter God. We have an opportunity to hear what he wants to say to us. The Spirit spoke the words of the Bible and he is still bringing them to life today. The book that you have in your hands is alive. In John 1 verse 14, we're told that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Grudem says of this, that Jesus is the Word, and among the members of the Trinity, it is especially God the Son, who in his person, as well as in his words, has the role of expressing the will of God for us. When Jesus dwelt physically on the earth, those who saw him would have seen and known God in person, and God in words. When Jesus died, was resurrected, and ascended to heaven, what happens to that personal experience of God? The Spirit comes. He now reveals God to us in the same way. Jesus said that the Father would send us a helper, one like himself. The Word was flesh and dwelt among us. Now the Spirit dwells in us and reveals Jesus to us. John Calvin wrote extensively on the work of the Spirit. You can see that I've been reading a lot. (laughs) And he taught that the Spirit seals the authenticity of Scripture in our hearts. We can have external evidence that Scripture is the Word of God. And we've explored this at the start of the sermon. We look at the historical facts. But actually, it's the Spirit who inwardly testifies this to us. It's Him who comes and affirms to us that Scripture is the Word of God. Nigel preached a few weeks ago ago about uh, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship. And not only was the the spirit involved in legally adopting you as sons, but then he came and he affirms that you're a son. He comes and he makes you cry out, Abba, Father, as you know that you're a son. And it's just the same with this. The word of God is the word of God. But then it's the spirit who comes and affirms it is the word of God. It's him who comes and authenticates that to you. In John Calvin's words, it is the secret testimony of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Artie Kendall says of the internal witness of the Holy Spirit, at the end of the day, this alone will persuade and hold us firmly in our conviction 
that the Bible is God's word. The same spirit who wrote the Bible is in us and testifies to its total reliability. The internal witness is stronger than all the proofs. We must seek our conviction in a higher place than human reason, judgment, testimonies or conjectures. The internal witness of the spirit makes us certain that this book is the word of God. He makes it certain to us that these words are life-changing. He's the one who transforms our lives through these words. The Spirit works to bring us closer to God. And that's what he does through the word of God. As we read it, we become more like him. And we encounter God. He helps us to hear the very words of God spoken to us through them. If you still need convincing, let's look at why we need the word. We'll look at our scripture again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The word of God is not just there for me to encounter him, and that is wonderful, but it's there to teach me, there to reproof me, there for correction, for training in righteousness. And we'll just look at what these mean. All scripture is profitable for teaching. So what is teaching? It's the means by which I learn what is right. The Spirit not only wants to talk to us and to reveal himself to us, but he wants to teach us. We've all had experience of being taught something. Uh, Some of you who are in university are probably fed up of it now. You're coming to uh, your exam stage and it's time to put that into practice, what you've been taught. Um, But perhaps some of you remember your school days and you think, those were rubbish. Actually, the teachers taught me absolutely nothing whatsoever. Um, But there may be some subjects that you're interested in now. Maybe history, it may be art, it may be sports, it may be, uh, you know, cross-stitch, as Francine was doing in our front room yesterday. Uh, Whatever it is, uh, there might be something that you're fascinated in and you you spend time trying to learn more about it because it's your passion. The Bible instructs us and it teaches us what is right. And the best way to avoid doing what is wrong is to learn how to do something right. If you want to learn how to fix cars, you don't read a book on how not to fix cars. You read a book on how to fix cars. And some people say that the Bible is boring and just a list of rules about what what you're not able to do any longer. But it's not. The Bible is wonderful. It's a book full of instruction about the freedom that Christ has won for you. It's full of instruction about life-changing grace that he's freely given to us, which transforms our lives. And we've got a teacher here who wants to show us more of himself. Throughout church history, there's been people um, who God has revealed something afresh to through his word. And that teaching then transformed and revived the church again. Uh, If we take, for example, justification by faith, this is something that was revealed to to the reformers. And it brought the church back to realizing that we have direct access to the Father through the Son. And it's Christ alone who justifies us. How did the reformers get to know this? Was it that they sat around one day and thought, we need to change the church, what can we do? Sounds good if we can have direct access to God instead of having to go to these people. 
Now, what they did is that God revealed, again, what was in his word. It wasn't that it was an addition. It was there all the time. But the Spirit revealed that teaching to them, and it transformed church again. Teaching transforms us. It helps us to live right. It helps us to understand and to discern doctrine. Why are the elders spending time teaching us? Why do they want us to to come back and spend time being devoted to fellowship, being devoted to their teaching? They're doing it because they want us to know what is right. They want us to know how to live our lives. And what's the Spirit's role in this? Well, it's him who's actually teaching us. In John 14, Jesus tells the disciples that the Father will send the Holy Spirit to them and he will teach them all things. The Spirit teaches us through Scripture. 1 and 2 Timothy can, can kind of be seen as, uh, as Paul's last will and testimony to, to Timothy, his last charge to him. This is his final encouragement to Timothy. How can Paul ensure that Timothy goes on to carry the baton? How can he ensure that, that he lives a good life? He does it by instructing him to read Scripture and to be taught by it. Next one is, all scripture is profitable for reproof and correction, which Nigel has alluded to earlier. And these two are are similar, that's why I've not separated these two. What we've got is reproof means rebuke. It means scripture tells, sorry, scripture helps to tell me when I've got it wrong. And correction is the process of adjusting from an error. We all get things wrong in our lives. None of us are perfect. Um, If you think you're perfect, you're in error. You're wrong. (laughs) Uh, We all get it wrong. We all go off track at times. And we all walk on the wrong path. But it's scripture that brings us back. If we see someone struggling or living in error, we use scripture to show them where they're going wrong and to help them back onto the right track. Paul starts... um, this chapter off by telling us about those who are living godless lives in the last days. He says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. How do you get to become a people like that? It's not something that happens overnight. It's something that starts with a small error and they keep going down the slippery path. Scripture brings us back onto track. We need to help people to come back to the truth. We need to rebuke people when they're in error. What I mean by rebuke is not that we uh, catch hold of them and we slap them around the face and we we say, you bad and terrible person, I'm never speaking to you again, you need to sort yourself out. What we've got is that we're not punishing them. We need to discipline them and bring them back to the truth. Scripture does that. There's not a situation that the Bible does not teach on. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. We need to live relationships with each other 
that are transparent and open. We need to live the sort of lives where you can speak into my life and you can tell me when I've got it wrong. And believe me, it's not going to be if I get it wrong. It's going to be when I've got it wrong. I want you to come and to tell me how I've got it wrong. And I want you to, to point me back in the right direction using scripture. All scripture is profitable for training in righteousness. What's this one about? It's about teaching me how to live right. We were once sinners. We were far from God. But through the cross and then through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been justified. We've been declared righteous through the cross. It's not in our own merit or in our own work, but it's by the grace of God. As we heard from Steve a number of weeks ago, it's the Spirit who has done this work. It's the Spirit who has made us be born again. It's the Spirit who revealed to us salvation. Again, it wasn't that we woke up one day and said, I think I'll choose to be saved today. It was a work of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who, who illuminated this to us. It's the Spirit who brought us in. And the wonder of this is that he doesn't just leave us there at being saved, but he wants to transform us. He wants us to become more and more like Jesus. So we're not only justified standing righteous before God, but the Spirit continues to work on our sanctification. He aids us to now live in our new identity. We've been made righteous, but the Spirit helps us to live as ones who are righteous. He aids us to choose righteousness in situations. The Spirit comes and helps us to become more like Christ, like the one whom we adore. Our identity has been transformed, and the Spirit now helps us to transform the way we live. A lot of us would want to become better people. We'd want to change the way that we live. We want to become more like Jesus. And some of us strive to do that. But it's not through striving that you will get to become more like Jesus. You need to read your Bible. You need to ask the Spirit to come and speak to you. That is how you will be transformed. So what's the purpose of Scripture? Is it to prop up that that thing on the table where it's a little bit loose at the moment so you put it underneath one of the legs? No. Verse 17. Sorry, I went on to the next verse. If that's okay, I added the second one, even though it wasn't given to me. So verse 17, so, so it is so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We must make scripture central to all that we are. We will never grow or become mature unless we have a passion for the word of God. And uh, One of the songs that we were singing earlier, it talked about um, the passion that comes by, by knowing Jesus. How do we know Jesus? We need to read the word of God. If you feel dry, if you feel weary, if you, if you just don't know who God is, come, read the word, ask the spirit to reveal Jesus to you. And then you have life. John Wesley said of his own need of the Bible, I'm a creature of the day, passing through life as an arrow through the air. I'm a spirit coming from God and returning to God just hovering over the great gulf. 
A few moments hence, I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. He hath written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be homo unius libri. Hope I've got that right. A man of one book. Here then I am, far from the busy ways of men. I sit down alone. Only God is here. In his presence I open. I read his book for this end to find the way to heaven. How can we live without the word of God? The word of God is a precious gift that has been given to us. It helps us to grow and to be transformed. In this one book, you have all that you need. We see that people go around trying to get the latest paper book um, about how they can become a new man or a new woman. They think that this is going to solve their problems, but it won't. That will just sit on your bookshelf and you'll never read it again. The Bible is the book that will change your life. Study it, search it, learn from it, be transformed by it. Ask the Spirit to work in you. Grow and be mature. The Word of God will equip you for every situation and every, situ- uh, sorry, every circumstance that you experience. You may be someone who at the moment is overwhelmed by the uncertainty that you face. Read the Word of God. It will root your life on a firm foundation. It will strengthen you, as we were talking about earlier. Don't be blown about. Be built up by the word of God. So to conclude, we started this sermon wondering how the word and the spirit can be reunited. But I wonder how they ever became disconnected. How can we have churches that focus only on the experience of the spirit and ignore the word of God? Charles Colson, who died recently, uh, said this, The family Bible is more often used to adorn coffee tables or press flowers than it is to feed souls and discipline lives. How can it be? How can we ignore the word of God? The Bible's precious. The Bible is God's word spoken to us. Let's come and read it. Let's enjoy it. Let's experience what God's saying to us. On the flip side, how can we have churches that focus solely on on the word and don't believe in the work of the Holy Spirit today. The word is written by the Spirit. It's he who reveals his words to us today. As we read the word, he enables us to commune with Christ. We began by looking at the focus of, of word churches and spirit churches. I said that we hear of word churches whose focus is on getting back to the scriptures and knowing what we believe. And we hear of spirit churches whose focus is on having a personal experience with the Holy Spirit and the living witness of the Holy Spirit. Let's not be either. Let's not be a word or spirit church, but let's build a church here that is a word and spirit church whose focus is on getting back to the scriptures, knowing what we believe, having a personal experience with the Holy Spirit and the living witness of the Holy Spirit. That's the church that I want to be a part of. I'd like us if we could stand a moment.
I think that God's been speaking quite, quite clearly to us this morning. There were several things that came out. Um, there was that phrase about what is dead coming to life. If you feel this morning that the Bible has, has been that, as if you've just been opening the Bible and it's been dead to you, I want to pray for you this morning that God will make it life to you. Also, uh, we heard that phrase about the Spirit permeating us, about the need for us to take our raincoat off and for the Spirit not to run off us, but to dwell in us. And I want to pray for you as well. If you're one of those people who feels that the Spirit is just dripping off you, I want to pray for you that the Spirit will permeate you. So I wonder if, if those relate to you. So if you read the Bible and it just looks dead and you want the Bible to be life to you, can you come forward now? And I want us to pray for you. Now means now. And if you're someone who feels that uh, the Spirit is just running off you, as if you're just wearing a raincoat and the Spirit's just dripping off you, thank you. Um, Then I want to pray for you that the Spirit would permeate you. We've got a couple of people coming forward. Please come forward and we want to pray for you.